0: The Old Testament reading is Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14. And this is the inerrant and infallible uh, word of our God. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And this will be uh, the passage uh, that we consider this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. In Psalm 103, we hear of the love of God for his people. He is a father to us. And in this passage in Ephesians, uh, we learn that that fatherly love of God for us as his people extends all the way back into eternity uh, when he chose us in Christ uh, for adoption as his uh, children. So Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We have finished our sermon uh, series through the book of Isaiah, and um, in a couple of months or so, we will begin uh, a new uh, study of a different book of the Bible. We will uh, begin a series uh, through the book of Romans. But in uh, the meantime, uh, we're going to uh, consider something uh, more of a topical nature. And the subject that we will consider for the next several weeks is uh, what is called the Order of Salvation. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the uh, Latin term that theologians use to uh, to name this, um, the Ordo Salutis, but uh, just to keep things simple, uh, we'll just stick with the English uh, name for it, the Order of Salvation. And the Order of Salvation, this is just the name that is given to all the various acts and works of God's grace in which uh, the Holy Spirit applies to us personally, Uh, that uh, salvation and the blessings of salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us when he offered himself uh, on the cross as a sacrifice uh, for our sins. Uh, More specifically, these uh, works of God's grace include the following. uh, Calling, uh, regeneration, uh, faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification and we'll be taking a look at each one of those things, uh, one at a time. Uh, Not all today. Uh, We'll spend several weeks uh, on this subject. But today we're going to begin this study of the order of salvation by looking at the bigger picture. Uh, That is, we're going to look at the, the truth or the spiritual reality that holds all of these particular works of God's grace together. And that is this, that as Christians, you and I are united to Jesus Christ. And that is our concern today, our union with Christ. And so first we'll ask, uh, what is union with Christ? And then secondly, we'll ask, what are some implications of this truth that we have been united to Jesus Christ by God's grace? So first of all, uh, what is union with Christ? Uh, To begin to answer that question, I want to... Read to you a verse that uh, is perhaps one that you don't uh, dwell on very often, and that is Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, uh, Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Uh, now, I doubt that this is. A verse that is particularly near and dear to your hearts. I doubt if many of you have memorized this verse, uh, but the reason that I wanted to begin with this verse is to, uh, to point out that when we hear the way that the apostle describes those who were Christians before him, he uses language that sounds a little strange to us. Uh, he says, they were in Christ before me. Uh, That's not usually the way that we talk about others being converted to Christ. Uh, We might say, uh, greet my friends, Adronicus and Junia. Uh, They were Christians before I was, or they came to faith in Christ before I did. Or we might say they got saved before I got saved. But normally we wouldn't say uh, they were in Christ before me. But the the Apostle Paul describes his friends this way, because theologically, uh, that is the most fundamental uh, truth about a person who is a believer in Christ. Whatever else may be said about a Christian that is true, this is the most basic, most fundamental truth about every Christian. And that is a Christian is a person who is in Christ. He is in Christ. Another way to say that is a Christian is someone who is united to Christ. Now, you won't find in the Bible this exact phrase, union with Christ. But the primary way the scriptures express this very uh, vital truth is in the way that we saw in Romans 16, verse 7. That is, that we are in Christ or in him. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses that expression or those expressions Uh, 160 times in his letters. Uh, Jesus himself spoke about our relationship to him or our union with him in the same way. In John 14, 20, Jesus said, In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Uh, The Bible uses other ways to express this uh, being in Christ. It speaks of us dwelling in Christ or abiding in Christ. Uh, christ abiding in us and what all of these expressions point to is the truth that as a christian you are forever joined to uh, the lord jesus christ in a union that is spiritual and intimate and eternal and this union with christ is the source of your life and joy and blessedness as a christian because you are joined to the one that is the lord jesus as the son of god who himself is the inexhaustible source of all life and joy and blessedness. And this union is true for every believer in Jesus Christ. This is true for every Christian. Now, to try to describe the exact nature of our union with Christ, this is impossible. Uh, we cannot describe it completely. We cannot comprehend it. Absolutely. Because it is a mystery. It is a mystery on the same level of uh, the mystery of the Trinity, one God, three persons, or the mystery of the two natures of Christ, the divine nature, the human nature, inseparably united in one person. Uh, but the Bible gives us some pictures to understand or analogies to understand this union. Uh, Jesus uses the image of the vine and the branches. Uh, Jesus says in John fifteen five, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, scripture also uses the image of the connectedness of uh, the stones of a building to the chief cornerstone of that building to picture our union with Christ. Another way that the Bible describes it is uh, the way that the head of a body is adjoined to or united with the other members of that same body. But perhaps the most powerful analogy that God gives us of the spiritual union between Christ and his people is that one flesh union that exists between a man and a woman in marriage. Uh, Just as a married couple are united together in heart and soul and body in that covenant bond of marriage, so the Lord Jesus, he has taken us to himself as his beloved bride, and we are united to him spiritually in that covenant bond of love and grace that Jesus has made with us. But all of these pictures and analogies are just ways for us to understand in part what is really impossible for us to fully comprehend or to fully grasp. And so sometimes uh, the union with Christ that we have is called a mystical union, not because it involves some kind of mystical experience on our part, but because it is mysterious exactly how we are united to Christ. But the scriptures declare that we are indeed uh, united to him. And this is the truth concerning you as a Christian that is most fundamental, most basic about you. Um, There are so many ways that we uh, or so many different ways that we identify ourselves. Uh, We might consider our gender, our age, our race, our family, our occupation, the circumstances in our lives, our experience, all of these a form a kind of identity that we have of ourselves but none of that is as basic and fundamental to what you are to who you are as you as this truth that as a believer in Christ you are in Christ this is the most this is the most basic thing that is true about you uh, and this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when the apostle Paul when he tells uh, the corinthians that they must flee from sexual immorality he says that when a believer commits sexual sin he is in a very real sense dragging christ into that sin because of his union with him and so paul says in first corinthians six fifteen, he says do you not know that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute and he says never uh, one preacher that I heard put this very vividly, uh, he said, as a Christian, he said, you, it is impossible that you could ever leave Christ at the door of a brothel, but you would take him in with you. And this is all just to say that this union with Christ is the most fundamental truth about us, that we are united to him at all times. And all that we do, we do in Christ. We even die in Christ. And first Thessalonians 416 Uh, That that verse speaks of the dead in Christ who will rise first at the resurrection or at the return of Jesus. And so not even death, not even death can sever this union that you have with your Savior, Jesus. Now, according to Scripture, there are three different ways in which or three different senses in which we are united to Christ. And the first sense is this, that uh, from God's perspective, you have been united with Christ from all eternity. And this is where we'll look at first, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so as a Christian, you have not only been chosen by God, In eternity, before the foundation of the world, you have been chosen by Him for salvation, but you have been chosen in Him. You have been chosen in Christ. And in this sense, even before you were born, even before there was a heaven and an earth, when there was nothing but God in all eternity, even then, in the mind of God, you were eternally united to His Son, Jesus Christ, because He chose you in Him to inherit salvation. And so just as... Christ as the son of God was eternally appointed by the father to be the savior of his people. So you have been eternally appointed to receive that salvation because in choosing Christ to be the savior of sinners, the father at the same time also chose you in him to inherit that salvation. And so one implication of this truth that your union with Christ really began in eternity One implication of that is this. I'll ask uh, ask this question. If you have been chosen in Christ in eternity, is it possible that you could ever lose that salvation? And the answer, of course, is no. You cannot ever lose your salvation because from all eternity, this was God's purpose, that He chose you in Jesus Christ. And it would be impossible for you to lose that salvation The only way that you could lose that salvation is if Jesus Christ himself somehow lost his position or status as the Lord of glory, as the son of God. And of course, that is absolutely impossible. And so this should give you the greatest assurance of your salvation, that it is secure forever, that if you have been united to Jesus from all eternity in the purpose and plan of God, Then you will most certainly be united to Christ for all eternity. That's the first way in which we are united to Jesus. The second way is this you are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. Uh, Paul goes on in in this first chapter of Ephesians in verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so your redemption is in Christ and through his blood. Your salvation is in Christ. And the Apostle Paul unpacks what this means in Romans chapter 6. There he says that as Christians, we have been baptized into the death of Christ. He says we have been buried with Christ. And then what he goes on to say, the implication of what he says next is that we have also been raised up with Christ in his resurrection from the dead. And so the scripture is telling us here in Romans 6 and Uh, The implication of of, of Ephesians chapter one is that we were united to Jesus when he was crucified, when he was buried and when he was raised from the dead. Um, The old spiritual, the hymn asks the question, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? As a Christian, you say, yes, I was there. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Yes, I was there. I was laid in the tomb with him. Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Yes, I was because I was raised up from the dead with him. And so again, what this means is even before you were born, when Jesus Christ was was crucified, died, buried and raised from the dead, you were crucified, buried and raised up with him. And so that his death is your death. His burial is your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. And so what this means is that by virtue of your being united to Christ, all that Christ experienced in his death, burial and resurrection is counted by God as what you have experienced. It is reckoned to you by God as it as though it happened to you. And what this means is that you have died a death with Christ. You died the death to sin. It means that just as Christ was raised from the grave on the third day, so spiritually, because you are united to Christ, you have been raised up with him already. And one day you, too, will be raised from the grave physically, just as he was. And so you are united to Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection. And the implication of this truth is this, that you are no longer under the power and dominion of sin and death. Now, this is not to say that as a Christian, you do not struggle with temptation. You do not struggle with sin. Obviously, we do. That is part of the Christian life. That is that spiritual battle that we are engaged in. But it is to say that you have a fundamentally different relationship to sin. And that is you are no longer under its dominion. It is no longer your master. You are no longer under the curse of the condemnation of the law You are no longer bound for eternal death and destruction because of sin, but you have died to sin, and you have been made alive in Jesus Christ. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves as who you are in truth, one who has died to sin, one who is now alive in Jesus Christ. And this is where we find the most basic, most fundamental biblical rationale for us as Christians to render to God obedience to him. Now, obviously, because God is God, because his law is his law, we are bound to obey it by virtue of it being the law of God. But as a Christian, there is even a more uh, basic motive for us to render to God obedience to serve him. And that is this. In Jesus Christ, you are already righteous. You are already set free from sin. You are already victorious over sin and death. And so the logic is, live like it. In other words, be who you are in Christ. You are already in Jesus Christ, covered with his righteousness, victorious over sin and death, and therefore, therefore, live according to who you are as one who has been, who died with Christ to sin and who was raised with Christ in his resurrection. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So these first two senses in which we are united to Christ, first of all, Uh, We have been uh, united uh, with him, at least in the in the mind of God. We were always united with him from all eternity. According to his purpose and plan, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Secondly, uh, we were united with him in his death, burial and resurrection. Now, these are true, but there's another sense in which we have gone from being outside of Christ to being in Christ and that's the third sense in which the scriptures speak of our being united to Christ. Uh, the third sense is this. You became united to Christ when, by the grace of God, you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. So after Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 1 that they were chosen in Christ and that they were, they were redeemed in him through his blood, he goes on to tell them in this letter that there was a time in which they were apart from Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 Chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul reminds the Ephesians that there was a time in their life in this world in which they were not actually united to Christ. And it sounds paradoxical that how could the same people be one at the same time Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And yet in this life, there was a time in which they were not actually united to Christ. But what Paul is saying is this, is that although from all eternity and the purpose of God, you were united to Christ, even though before you were born, you were united to Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection. Nevertheless, in this life, until the Holy Spirit works faith in you and unites you to Christ by faith, you are still outside of Christ. Christ. And what is true for the Ephesians is true for all of us. There was a time when we were without God, separated from Christ. There was a time in which we were united to Adam for condemnation, for death. But now by the grace of God, we have been brought to Jesus and united with him for forgiveness, for life. And so these are the three ways in which we are united to the Lord Jesus. Now I want to Uh, Consider some of the implications of what this means for us as Christians. And I have four four implications. First of all, you live as a Christian entirely by faith in Christ. Every salvation uh, blessing, every good thing that we receive from God, we receive through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what this means is that every stage in the Christian life, you live by faith. From the moment that you initially put your trust and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, from that moment on, the Christian life is one of faith. And so in your ongoing growth in in grace and obedience, you also must look to Christ by faith. And so you look outside yourself. You look upward to Jesus In other words, you don't start out in the Christian life by trusting in Jesus, by trusting in him for salvation. And then you go on from there to muster from within yourself the strength, uh, the ability to obey Jesus, to walk uh, as a Christian, to live a life uh, faithful to Christ. That's not the way it goes. But in all that you do, you do by faith in Christ. You must look to him uh, day by day, by faith, trusting in him. Why? Why? Because Christ is the source of every grace and blessing you need to serve him and to grow in grace. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, verse 5. Again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we abide in Christ? It is by faith. It is by trusting in Jesus day by day as Christians to give us that grace and strength we need to live the Christian life. And so the Christian life from beginning to end is one of faith. Uh, We could put this in theological terms. Uh, Christ, he is the source of your sanctification every bit as much as he is the source of your justification. And so not only are forgiveness and new life found in Christ But the grace to persevere in faith, the grace to grow in obedience are also found in Christ. so the message is, is this, that if you are not a Christian, uh, how do you uh, how do you receive salvation? You do so by faith. Come to the Lord Jesus and trust yourself to him that your sins may be forgiven, that you may receive this gift of everlasting life. But the message is essentially the same for you who are a Christian, Come to Jesus by faith, trust in him, lean upon him. Do not lean upon your own wisdom and your own strength because the same Jesus who saves you from your sin is the one and the only one who gives you the strength and the grace to walk in his way, to to walk, to live a life pleasing to him. And so that's the first implication. Secondly, salvation in Christ is never a partial salvation But every Christian receives every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you cannot have Christ as your savior, but not have him as your Lord, because Christ cannot be divided into separate parts. Um, By faith, you are united to Jesus in his entirety, or you are not united to him at all. And so what this means is that there is no such thing as what has been called a carnal Christian. That is, a Christian who is saved, but in his life there is no actual, genuine fruits of obedience or a new life um, lived, lived in, uh, to the glory of God. There is no such thing as a Christian uh, who is a carnal Christian. One who is saved, but not, in some way at least, Um, exhibiting the fruits of a new life another way to put it a christian who has christ or there there cannot be a christian who has christ as his savior but who does not have him as his lord by faith you have the whole christ both savior and lord or you have no christ at all and this is because our salvation is through union with jesus and we have all of jesus we have all of jesus the Jesus who saves us and the Jesus by his spirit who works in us for that growth and grace. The third implication, your life as a Christian will resemble in some small way the life of Jesus. So if you have been united to Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection, there is also a sense in which as a Christian you participate in this life in the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus. Being united to Christ means that your life will resemble his in the way in which you must suffer. Now, obviously, this does not mean that you will suffer in all of the ways that Jesus suffered. It certainly does not mean that your suffering has any sort of redemptive value to atone for your sins. Only the suffering of Christ does that. But it does mean this, that as a Christian, as one who is joined to Christ you will share in the sufferings of your Lord and Savior. First uh, Peter 4.13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So we share in Christ's sufferings. And this is why in the verse just before First Peter 4.13, 4, 13, um, Peter says that when you suffer as a Christian, uh, don't be surprised. Don't think that something strange is happening to you. Uh, Because if you are united to the one who suffered in this life, you too ought to expect to suffer. In other words, suffering as a Christian, uh, this is not something unusual or foreign to what it means to be a Christian. This is not a disruption of what the Christian life is all about. But suffering for the sake of Christ, bearing the cross of Christ... This is an essential dimension, a necessary dimension of your experience as a Christian in this world. Uh, The Christian life is not an endless series of positive and happy experiences uh, in this life. And the reason for that is because it was not that way for Jesus. So how can it be for you? It was not that way for Christ. He had to suffer. And therefore, as one who is united to Christ, you too must suffer. But the good news is this. Scriptures promise that just as you share in the sufferings of Christ in this world, so you will share in the glory of Christ that will be revealed when he comes again. What that means exactly, I cannot tell you, but the Scriptures promise that we will be glorified with the Savior Jesus. Romans eight seventeen says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And so that is the promise that is given to you in your union with Christ. Yes, you will suffer as your Lord suffered, but God is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh all the slight to momentary afflictions that you endure in this life as a follower of Christ. Paul put it this way in Colossians 127, Christ in you, Christ in you the hope of glory, the hope of glory. Finally, a fourth implication, and this is a sermon that I have preached before um, several years ago. But I added this one because there is something about this truth of our union with Christ that is so very uh, relevant uh, to us in our cultural moment. Uh, one of the most destructive lies of our culture is this, is that your basic identity, what makes you you, this is something that you must not merely discover for yourself, but this is something that you must create for yourself. We are told, in our, in our day and age, we are told that we and we alone have the right, and we must determine what is most fundamental about us. We must determine our own identity. Even something as basic as our gender, this is something that we alone have the right to determine, and we must determine. As I said, this is one of the most destructive lies of our culture today. And the biblical response to this is, no. Your identity is based not on what you create for yourself as an identity, but your identity is something that is given to you. It is God who created you. And therefore, fundamentally, you are a creature who is accountable to God as your creator. It is God who made you His image bearer. Therefore, What you are, who you are, is one who has been created in order to reflect the righteousness, the holiness of God. It is God who made you male or female. It is God who has chosen your gender. And it was chosen by a God who is perfect in wisdom, infinitely wise and infinitely good. And so your identity is something you receive and accept as determined by God, not determined by you. But as Christians, I know that's true for all people, but as Christians, we take that one step further. And that is this, as one who belongs to Jesus Christ by faith, what is most fundamentally true of you is not only that you have been created by God, but that you have been redeemed by God, that you are united to Jesus Christ, that you are in Him. You are a son or a daughter of God, because you are joined to the eternally begotten Son of God. And so far from being something or being an identity that we create for ourselves, ourselves, this identity as those who are in Jesus Christ, this is a gift. It is a gift of God's grace. It is a blessing. It is something to thank God for. What a radically different way to look at ourselves than the way that the world wants us to look at ourselves. We have received an identity by the grace of God, and it is a glorious one. We are in Jesus Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. And so in Christ, what makes you, you as a Christian, is the love and grace of God who not only made you, but also the love and grace of God by which he has redeemed you To be his child, his servant, his worshiper forever. And so as I said earlier, what is most true about you, what makes you, you is not uh, your appearance or your age or your successes or your failures. But it is that you are forever united with the Lord Jesus. And therefore you have been brought into that eternal communion with the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit forever and ever And so as we go on from here, the following weeks, as we see what the scriptures uh, teach us about uh, calling and regeneration, faith and repentance and and all of these uh, wonderful truths of our salvation. uh, This is the the one thing we need to keep in mind uh, throughout. And that is all of these blessings come to us through Jesus Christ and by virtue of our being united to him. Again, Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray.